My family doesn't look like the ones I was taught to aspire to as a kid growing up in a small Midwestern town. You know, mom, dad, two and a half kids, Labrador, picket fence. My name is Tyler Green. I am a gay man living in California. My husband is from China, and we are raising a baby. Say hi. It's beautiful, a little messy, and I've realized something. A family isn't something you just have. A family is something you make, people you choose. And that's what this show is all about. It's called This Is My Family, and it's about building a life with the people we love. In each episode, I will talk to someone fascinating about family, how their family of origin shaped them, and how they're building their own family now. I'll talk to drag queens, poets, professional surrogates, and more. This week is a little different, though. Before we dive into sharing stories of other people's families, I want to introduce you to mine. So that's what we're doing today. And to help me tell this story, I'd like to welcome to the podcast stage our senior producer and my dear friend, Trisha Bobita. Hey, Tyler. Trisha and I have been friends for a really long time, and we work together in public radio. She is most known for her work on WBEZ's Nerdette podcast, and I go around telling everybody that I think she is going to be president of podcasts. But anyway, for this episode, <laughs> Trisha talked to me. She interviewed me, my husband, and a bunch of other people in my life to try to help put this story together, the story of my family. That's right. And like any good story, we're going to start at the beginning with you and your future husband, Ziwu. So let's go back to the very first night the two of you met. It's Christmas break 2012 on the north side of Chicago. I was house-sitting for a friend, and he wanted me to watch his cat, and said to me basically, like, you can smoke all the weed, you can drink all the alcohol, just don't invite anybody to my house that you uh, haven't met before. I said, well, that's very easy because it was Christmas. And I thought to myself, like, I'm not going to invite any strangers over. Why would I do that? So the night that they left, I think, I invited my friend Paul over, who I knew. (laughs) He's my friend from college. And we smoked all the weed. And we drank all the booze. And OkCupid had gotten a (laughs) feature on their app. It was basically Grindr before Grindr. And this person named Zewu responded. He was just basically asking me to come over. But one thing caught my attention was that he said, okay, so I have a shower that's really nice. It has four shower heads, and I will make you breakfast. Like, what kind of eggs do you like? I'll make it. And so I was, you know, sold. Around, I don't know, it must have been like one or two in the morning, Zewu shows up. And I can recall it right now. He was wearing really bright white pants. Actually, tan pants. And I was a little stoned. So I was like, wow, an angel has arrived. He was cute. And then we went inside. It was a really nice house. My first impression, this is a really nice house. But I didn't know that it was not his house. I just remember feeling like he was energetically so different than anyone I had ever met. And I was just insanely curious about that. 
It was funny because it was like meant to be a hookup, but nothing happened. We didn't hook up. Like nothing happened that night. The next thing that I could remember is just like waking up the next morning, and he led me to the shower. It had、um, four shower heads. <laughs> so he's not a liar. And I went upstairs, and he made breakfast. He is not the kind of person who would, under any normal circumstances, come to a stranger's house at two o'clock in the morning. And so the fact that he showed up, you know, I think is a little magical, to be honest. And I remember, like, on my way home on the train, I was texting my friend, just basically telling her, "Hey, I, I met someone." And、uh, usually, I don't say things like that, but you know, for some reason, I just. Felt something, I guess. It's like an indie movie, right? We are very different. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can find two people that different. That's why we are attracted to each other. I think we both have something that the other one doesn't. One of my friends called him the Asian Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> so, you know, he's just very handsome and cute and sweet and tender. You know, he came at a time when I really needed, I think, something different, something less crazy, something responsible. If you look up our Myers Briggs or our Enneagrams, the first thing it says is "ooh." But if you're able to unlock that matching thing, where you work. With each other and understand minimally understand and hopefully also respect each other's differences, you can actually create something beautiful. I moved in like six weeks later to his apartment, and then he bought a condo downtown, and I stayed moved in. Okay, hang on, pause things, please. Sorry, just to clarify, you moved in together six weeks after you met. <laughs> This is only a detail that other people bring up to me. I never thought, I never ever thought, six weeks was too fast. Let's just say, like before this point, I had a history of getting into a lot of really fast-paced relationships. So when I found this person, when he appeared in whatever color pants he was wearing, actually tan pants, I just wanted to keep him. I didn't want to lose him. I guess that makes sense. And this was the first big, serious, grown-up relationship that either of you had, which I'm sure was also really exciting. But it sounds like it was complicated by the fact that Ziwu, who was really close to his parents, even though they're very physically far away in China, they didn't know he was gay until he came out on a trip to visit them. I decided to come out because our relationship got serious. Before that, I just I had been telling myself that.、Uh, No need to freak anybody out if I'm not in a relationship. And now that I am actually in a relationship, I'm gonna, you know, tell my parents. Finally, you know, I I told my mom. She said, "I don't know what happened, and I'm so ashamed. I could jump off this building right now, like the hotel that we're staying at, that high-rise hotel. But it was like really surreal." I told them about Tyler, of course, and so my mom thought that was because of Tyler that I was gay. I, I got so tired of it, and then one day I just decided to lie to them, basically that Tyler and I broke up. So I told my parents Tyler and I broke up. They were happy about it. They were like, "Okay, great, 
you know, it's time to move on. Now you can get your life back. So there was a breakthrough moment in our relationship. Knowing Tyler, he gets really anxious about things. Like whenever there's something wrong with you, like if you're sneezing or if you're coughing, he would just be like, "You need to see a doctor immediately. I'll make an appointment for you. I'll make this happen." So what happens is that so my left arm and my right leg starts to like getting this tingly, painful feeling. I was diagnosed with neck tumor or spinal cord tumor. So there was this egg-shaped tumor. I think it's the size of an egg. So it's a pretty big one inside of my spinal cord. Like I still have a scar. I have like two nails、um, in my spinal cord. And so when I found out that I had this mass in my spinal cord, they thought. Tyler and I broke up, so I had a decision to make. I can tell them what's really going on that Tyler and I have been together, like actually all these years, and we haven't actually broken up ever. And I have this surgery that I need to go to, and you can come and take care of me or not, or I can lie to them and just pretend everything is normal. Going through this surgery by myself with Tyler taking care of me, and tell them the truth the next time we meet, right? I had a secret surgery, spinal cord tumor removal surgery, almost a year after my surgery. I told my mom, and of course they were like crying, and and I told them the story of you know Tyler taking care of me all this time, and. That was the breakthrough moment. Basically, I think in my relationship with Tyler and my relationship with my parents, because Tyler took really good care of me. Tyler is just such a caring person. He literally slept in my room, like my hospital room, for I think three days, and because of that, actually, my parents opened up. So yeah, it was like a wake up call for them. And that story. The story of his spinal cord surgery, his coming out, the two of you coming together, his parents coming to terms with all of it. You decided to tell it on stage. Please welcome our good friend and a great supporter of our program, Mr. Tyler Green. That's right. I was asked to tell a story at Outspoken, which is one of my favorite storytelling nights, and. For those of you who don't know what I mean when I say storytelling night, it's basically like stand-up comedy, but not necessarily funny. And it's one of my favorite ones because it features queer or queer-friendly storytellers. It felt less nerve-wracking to get up and talk about our secret relationship and tumors and stuff when you're surrounded by people who love you. So I did it. I told the story, and I got to the end. And the hero of this story is not me. The hero of this story is my partner, who, <laughs> who went through this process of surgery, which is not why I'm getting emotional. That was tough, and he did it, and I'm proud of him. The part of the story that I didn't tell you was that he came out to his parents,、um, who are from China,、uh, two years before this. They did not handle it well. One of the bargaining chips for his mother. 
um, was that uh, they, we had to break up um, or she was going to kill herself. Now, we don't know if that was serious or not, but you got to take that seriously. So we sort of told her that that was what we were going to do, and they Skyped, you know, they Skype every week, and I would go to the corner and sort of hide away, and it just happened that way for a year and gave him his time. And about uh, this last winter, he went back to China and came out again to his family and told them about the surgery, told them that I had been living with him this whole time and that I was the one that was taking care of him. About a month ago, um, I was sitting on the couch watching Oz, and uh, he is on the phone or on on the iPad with his mom, and I'm sitting there next to him, closer than I've ever sat when he's been in conversation with her, and he turns the iPad over to me, and his mom is there. And through translation, he said, she said that she was very proud of me and thanked me for taking care of her son on behalf of their whole family. So tomorrow morning, you can't write this, we are going to sign on our new home in Edgewater that is um, big enough for a little baby and uh, hopefully a mother from the East. Thank you. Now, as Tyler's getting all this applause, his super introverted boyfriend, Zewu climbs up on stage from the audience and says, I never thought I would cry, but I did. (laughs) Tyler Jim Screen, will you marry me? Yes. This is such a wonderful, magical moment in your relationship. It's in front of all these friends, and we get to listen back to it. And you get to listen to it over and over, and we get to experience it right now. It's kind of cool. It's pretty awesome, and I cry every single time I hear that story. It was such an incredible night, and you know, you never know how you're going to get proposed to. And I really wanted to be proposed to in a big romantic way, and he just knocked it out of the park. So, um, you know, and then our wedding was even more spectacular and epic and you know one day I'll tell the story on the podcast I'm sure we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we talk about the next big chapter of Tyler and Zewu's life deciding to have a baby we'll be right back there are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases wash your hands avoid close contact with people who are sick Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this podcast. So not long after that onstage proposal, Tyler and Zuu get married and then decided to have a baby. Yes, which is something that I never personally planned on for my life. But it sounds like Zuu had always pictured himself being a dad. Yeah, I always wanted children. I always wanted a family. It's interesting because how I pictured it when I was a kid, I... 
would be like straight, like a heterosexual. Apparently, the the part involved a wife didn't work out for me,、um, but I wanted like little small creatures running around destroying things and being cute. So it was never a problem for me. That decision had been you know made a long time ago. So I guess I started to just warm it up for Tyler. <laughs> so Zhu has Tyler on board for this whole dad thing. But now it's still going to take like science fiction level technology and some luck and a whole team of people to make this baby, kind of a superhero squad. There's Tyler, aka Dad. Special skills include project management, relationship building, and worrying a lot. Zewu, aka Baba. Special skills include really wanting to be a dad. And expertly providing half of all needed genetic materials. This team needs an egg donor. I am Jessica. I am Tyler's sister. Special skills include having Tyler's genetic code more or less, having a bunch of really cute kids already, and living next door to Disney World. Next, we need a surrogate to carry the baby. My name is Emily Morris, and I am a gestational surrogate for Tyler and Zewu. Special skills include. Being willing to have babies for other people while taking care of her own, and being the nicest person on the planet—it's a superhero squad. Like all these people are superheroes. <laughs> okay, first of all, can we please talk about how it was your idea to do superhero squad? Then I was like, do the superhero voice, and you were like, I don't want to do the superhero voice. And then I made you do it, and you completely nailed it just now. I didn't know if I could do the voice. <laughs> It's amazing! I love it. I guess the question now is, can I stop, or will I need to do it for the rest of the episode? Oh, I super hope so. I think our listeners want you to too. It's so fun. I don't think they want me to do that. I think I need to turn it down to like seven from eleven. All right, fine. I'll be a professional podcaster. Here's a seven. Okay, so we've been getting to know Tyler and Zewu. Now let's get to know their egg donor. Right, so I have one sister, aforementioned Jessica, and you know, one day I realized I was looking in the mirror, and we look like almost the same. Only differences are that she has really long hair and boobs, which I, of course, do not have. And it sounds like your sister was really just waiting for you to ask her to help make a baby. Tyler, Zoo, and I were in Target on a visit. And I remember them casually asking me if I would have their baby, and I just laughed, and I said, "Of course." It was really that simple. Yeah, I never, it never crossed my mind to think about it. Like it was, I've always been okay with it. So, what was the hardest part? Taking the shots was hard because you had to take them at certain times, and they just hurt. Explain the whole like medical process. They sent you all these boxes, right? Right. Well, so at the beginning, I had to go to the site counseling, and then following that, I had blood work and ultrasounds prior to, and then they sent me a giant box of medication, and then I had to go in, and they told me which ones I had to take when I had to take it. There was always shots in the morning, and there were shots in the evening. 
at first it was like once a week and then when it got closer i had to go every few days to do ultrasounds to check to see how the eggs were doing until they could tell me to take what it was called like my trigger shot to make me release smegs or make them like blow up my ovaries hurt really bad but that was a trigger shot it was the last day and then the next day i had to go in and they sedated me and took the little eggs out yeah there were like a million eggs or something like a lot there there's like 36 eggs so you've got jessica on board to be the egg donor she's done her part ziwu's done his part but now you need a place for this baby to grow tell me about meeting your surrogate emily Ziwu and I went to this surrogacy conference. Uh, it's called, not joking, Men Having Babies. It is still around and they do really great work. They have like all kinds of baby making things to buy and hire. And specifically, they have surrogacy agencies who put up a bunch of tables and you walk around and they try to convince you to use them to help you find somebody to carry your baby. So this is like a convention hall, but instead yeah. of swag tables with Brandon yeah. stuff, it's like happy photos of very healthy looking people that all say, this is where your baby can grow. Yeah. It's like gay man baby con. And there's brochures and logos on pens and this whole convention-y vibe. That's right. That is 100% right. I still have all of the pens. <laughs> anyway, so we went to that conference twice actually and the second time was like the real time and so we we connected with a surrogacy agency that time called family source consultants and we filled out some forms basically an application and our only real request on the forms was that this person live near a major airport so that we could get there easily and honestly like at the top we said we're not picky but this person cannot be a trump supporter <laughs> and that was like three years ago now so we fill out the form, and then one day we get this email from Family Source, and they said that they found a match for us. We get on a Skype call, and I remember seeing Emily and thinking, wow, she is incredibly young. And then seeing her partner Dylan and thinking, holy crap, those are the biggest arms I have ever seen on a person in my life. He has these big football arms. And I looked at them, and I thought they could straight up be out of, like, Friday Night Lights or some sort of like high school story like that, you know, where Emily is definitely the one getting tossed in the air and Dylan is the one throwing her as she spins around. Exactly. Yeah. They totally look like a college cheerleading couple. Yes. And then they started talking and it was confirmed. They were the sweetest, kindest, nicest, most genuine people I have ever met. Um, so we were really, really lucky. And Emily and I have talked a lot over the years. And we've had some really beautiful conversations about why she does what she does. And so for this show, I thought it would be really important for people, for our new community that we're building, to hear directly from, for all intents and purposes, a professional surrogate. So I called her up. I have had two beautiful babies of my own. And then I have had three surrogate babies. Do you remember the first time you were like, I'm going to be a surrogate? I was so young, actually. I was like 18 years old, and I remember watching a surrogate on TV, and I thought it was absolutely the coolest thing, and I did so much research on it. Obviously knew that I wanted to have my own children first, and so um, it was just always in the back of my mind. And the second I had my son, which is my last, I started the process literally like a few weeks later, so... <laughs> What was it about what you saw that made you want to do it? 
It was really cool. I saw her um, like carry the baby and then it was kind of almost like a reality show. Um, she handed it over to the parents and just seeing the parents kind of like an adoption, just how amazing it was. I was just like, wow, to be able to give that to somebody. I mean, what could be a greater blessing? So We had this Skype conversation and I remember from my perspective being like, I mean, I'm nervous all the time yeah. about everything. Um, so it's no different. But I remember being like, wow, this is so not foreign, but different for me until yeah. basically Sam was born. So, yeah. like, But that moment in particular, I remember seeing the two of you and being like instantly at ease. Yes. Do you remember how you felt during that call? I do too. Um, it's always nerve wracking. I mean, it was obviously my second time and I was still nervous, um, to meet you guys, but I did, you guys were just so relaxed and so calm and you could just tell that you guys naturally were that way and naturally got along. And I always tell people, they're like, well, how did you know? And how did you pick? And you just know, like you just get a feeling and you just know that those are your people. And that's just how I always feel about it. How do you look at and sort of define the relationship you have with us? I personally like that you guys are just so real. You guys are just so open about your life in general and real things that go on, what you guys are doing for work and if Sam is sick or what you guys are making for dinner, you know, just such personal things. Like with yeah. you guys, I have a journey and a very personal relationship. So you had two babies of your own. I'm curious, the difference in sort of the day-to-day, -day, I guess, of a pregnancy of your own and a pregnancy for other people, right? Yeah. Are there differences? I mean, it is different. You know, when you have your own kid, you're not necessarily more relaxed, but, you know, you just kind of trust yourself more. When you are carrying somebody else's child, you have a little bit more pressure to obviously take care of that child a lot better, you know, and so it's not necessarily super different, but personally for me, I definitely cared what I did, what I ate. I mean, everything to take the best care of your guys' baby. So yeah, there has to be difficult moments. Obviously it's pregnancy. It's incredibly beautiful, but it's also painful. And like, yes, there's, yeah. there's certainly lots of difficult moments. If you were to share like a difficult moment or, or two, like, does anything rise to the surface? Like um, what's hard about it? Definitely. So first trimester is always a little rough for me. I know that I'm going to be very nauseous and possibly sick with vomiting, which is just very normal in pregnancy, but it definitely, you know, takes a toll on your body for those few weeks. And I can't be as active as I would like to be with my own family, which I don't necessarily feel guilty about. I mean, they know it's part of the process, but, and then delivery, obviously, is very hard. I'm sure any mom will tell you that. Emily is the sweetest human, and I think she's being kind of humble about how difficult childbirth is. I have not had kids, but everyone I know that has delivered a baby says it's not incorrect what Carol Burnett says. You take your bottom lip and pull it over your face, and that's what it feels like. Ah, uh, yep. Yeah. So Emily's there, you and Zewu are there, and of course Dylan's there in the delivery room. And you've brought along someone else who is very excited about this moment. Yes, my husband's mom, Ai Ping. And uh, she flew here from China a month before Sam was born because she'd never actually visited her son, who had been here for almost a decade. And so we thought, you know, what better time for her to come visit us than right before the birth of her grandson? So 
she flew here and met me and we kind of hung out for a month. She cooked us three meals of authentic Chinese food, homemade dumplings every single day. And it was kind of blissful, actually. And the due date is fast approaching. So the three of you hop in the car and road trip to southern Missouri, meeting up with Emily. That's exactly right. We chose to drive over flying because it was only five hours away. So we packed up everything we needed, which we got from our baby shower, and off we went. We drove, and I think all the way down, I was singing show tunes at the top of my lungs, and his mother was laughing, and I was like, this is kind of beautiful and so strange at the same time you know this this army of of folks going down to get this baby and and then we get there and we check into the hospital we have dinner with Emily that night we have some spicy food and and I say well you know she might the baby might come early so we go back to the hotel room and we kind of hang out for a while I fall asleep and then we get a text message essentially saying that Emily is at the hospital and has gone into labor. And so we went to the hospital at like, I don't know, midnight. We walked up and buzzed ourselves in and it was me and Ziwu's mom and and Ziwu. And we finally got in the door and, um, you know, they gave us a room right next to Emily. Everybody was actually very kind and very sweet. And, you know, we were like next door neighbors, essentially. And we went into the room and Emily was in a lot of pain. She got the epidural, and, you know, I'm sort of speeding through this, but we're, we're basically then all there. There's the doctor and everybody that we mentioned before. What an intense moment to have so many people surrounding mm. you for the birth of a child that is basically your job to have. Did Emily talk about that? Yeah, I asked her about that. It's a lot more difficult, I feel like, pressure-wise to be a surrogate, just because I don't want you all to think that anything is wrong with the baby or wrong with me or anything. So that's, I definitely felt more pressured in the labor and delivery room to like make you guys be at ease, even if I was in pain and stuff. So that was definitely different. Yeah. And grandma was there too. Yes. But she was so wonderful. (laughs) She was like the first person to come ask me if I was okay. And that's just a moment like I will treasure forever. You know, she had a new grandbaby just sitting right there and she came up to me the very first and just, you know, asked if I was okay. And I think she probably witnessed what I just went through and knew. She was very connected to you in that moment. I could yes, feel that. Like yes. it was really it was really sweet. I remember like my mom was being really super respectful. Like she was crying. She told me that she felt really bad for Emily also. I mean, you know, she delivered me and she knew how that's like. <laughs> so I remember like Sam looked up and saw Tyler. It was so sweet. It was really sweet. And it's like your, your life just changed forever in that moment. And in hindsight, Trisha, having grandma there and having Dylan there, I mean, Dylan shot all the footage. And months later, I found out that Zibu's mom has this video of Sam screaming the second he was born. And so, like, just having those two technological pieces alone, not to mention the fact that I got to do skin-to-skin contact with my son, and his grandma was there, and these other two people, and then we were able to give Sam to Emily right away. And a lot of couples choose to just sort of whisk the baby away, and, and there's no judgments about that, of course, but she's family now. And so we really wanted to share that with her, not cut her off of that. What an incredible, selfless group of people who work together to make this beautiful baby Sam. That's pretty awesome. I got to say, anytime I think about 
any one of them in this context, especially this night for more than a few seconds, I start to lose my shit because he is here now and every day he's so stunning and a different human every day. And pandemic life is monotonous and super scary and tests the nerves of even the calmest person, which we've covered many times. I am not. Yeah, you and are not. Sam is just this like living, breathing reset button that sits in the corner and makes it all better, even if he's screaming, which he is a lot lately. So I can't even begin to articulate in words the gratitude that I have for this insane team of people. And Sam's about 19 months old now. A lot of his life has been in this pandemic that you mentioned. And I wanted to talk to you and Ziwoo more about that. What's it like now being daddy and baba, being parents in the pandemic? We are very tired. And that is, I think, real for everybody these days. Like, this week, we have Sam home from daycare, and our daycare is taking, like, a much-deserved vacation. Like, I can't imagine taking care of, like, seven of them. And we've got this, like, superstar child who's so expressive and sweet and funny and, like, but man, oh, man, is the struggle real. Okay, what are the best parts about raising a baby, and what are the hardest parts about it, besides, I guess, not sleeping ever? The best part is he is so cute, <laughs> and I love him. Yeah. He has really fat cheeks still. <laughs> Not as fat, but, you know, I'm I'm a cheek person, and I just love big cheeks. And so every time I see his face, I just feel this, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling. See, we used to bite my cheeks in the beginning of our relationship. I don't do that anymore. He doesn't do Because I have Sam now. Because, wow, I'm replaced. <laughs> he is adorable and just beautiful, right? Today, we were out in the park, me and him, just by ourselves. And he, like, held my little finger. And he was, like, walking with my finger. And then he airplane came in the sky and he goes, bird. And it was just, like, it's just shit like that is great. But then, at a certain point, it's like, what new things are there to do in the world? You sort of run out of things a little bit. I mean, they find something new in everything, but I think we as adults, we don't see that. So it's like the same routine every day. I catch myself standing in front of the kitchen sink and doing dishes. Like <laughs> just, just, just like all the time. It seems like I spend like two hours doing that every single day. And then I stand there and I was like, didn't I just do this like 15 minutes ago? <laughs> Was I doing the same thing at the exact time, like, yesterday? It's so interesting, though. All of, like, the cliches are 100% true. So, like, when I get up in the morning and I'm laying in bed and I'm like, oh, this is nice, relaxing, and then you hear, Wah! I mean, and you see him and you're just, you instantly melt. And you're like, oh, God, 10 hours of this never occurs to me. What occurs to me is, like, I'm exhausted until 10, 10 hours later until 10 hours later yeah been, you know it's been 10 hours yeah exactly it's actually more than 10 hours great i'll probably remember that now tomorrow <laughs> and so when you think about the future with sam what are the things you're the most excited about so i already have a plan for him right <laughs> i'm a chinese parent so he's gonna be on disney channel <laughs> And he's also going to have a side gig of, you know, being a model or a musician. <laughs> you know, Tal and I thought about this. Sam actually is very, very interested in music and dancing. Yeah. 
He does that all the time. Yeah. He actually started doing that from a very early age, like as soon as he could like stand up. But I asked my sister if her kids did that. She said like all kids do that. So I don't know. I hope that it stays because I would love nothing more than for Sam to be like a little Broadway baby. It's always nice to hear that your child is not special. <laughs> I know, right? Even though you would like to think that I know. he's so talented. I was like, can't but, you just you know, lie to us? Every child is like that. Yeah. You're joking and you're not, actually. So he definitely... I'm an overachiever. So yeah. I... I mean, you definitely want him to go to Harvard. You've said that hundreds of times. MIT so. is fine, too. <laughs> I'm cool. I'm cool with, you know, Kalamazoo College. But, you know, it's cool. I mean... That is one of the things that I'm excited about and one of the things that scares me. And I think that's common for every parent. It's like he's going to turn into his own person, right? With his own likes and dislikes. And if we do our jobs right, he's going to be a combination of both of us. So there's no question he's going to love music. Yes. And probably be sneaking out to go to concerts and all kinds of other things. And like that's maybe a fun worry about him growing up and being a teenager. But I wonder like in a bigger picture way, what do you worry about for his future? There are people who don't believe in science. And I'm like, wow, if you don't believe in science, how am I going to talk to you? Which is scary. I just think then, is Sam going to be confused growing up in this world? I worry that he's not going to be happy. So I'm always afraid that like my anxiety, my fear, my depression, you know, if Zoo and I are in an argument or like, some shit has happened in the news. Like, I worry that he's going to absorb all that. And scientifically and biologically, it's proven that actually babies do. And that's why people say it's inevitable that you're going to fuck up your kid, right? Because that is unavoidable. You can't not experience fear. But what I think is really going to be an interesting journey for the two of us is how do we take our individual values, what matters to us individually, and find a way to come together and then translate those values to our kid. Because, you know, Zoo and I are, you know, I'm an INFJ and he's an ISTP. So like, he's very rational. I'm very emotional. Like, and so together, I hope, you know, we're able to create this human who's like deeply caring, but also logical and able to be fair to people and be concerned with justice. We talked about that a lot, actually, at the start, right? At the beginning of your relationship, you realized how different the two of you were. And I'm wondering how Sam has changed that relationship. What has it made you learn about each other? It brings us together, I feel like, because Tyler and I have to, you know, being parents, we have to work as a team. It's something that we had to learn, right? You have to make it work, not just for your child, but for yourself. Like, you're going to lose your mind if things don't work, and... So I feel like we've figured it out, right? I mean, I think we're in the process of figuring it out. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, we just have to be honest and we have to negotiate and we have to say what's on our mind. And and also on top of all of this, there's a pandemic. And so it's like, it's not normal right now. Like, and it's actually like pretty depressing on a lot of levels. And so there's also this like, I think, radical acceptance of like where the person is at. And also, by the way, like, Say when I moved our entire lives from Chicago to California in February for a job opportunity that Z got, we were the first county to close in the country, Santa Clara County. And then everything, and I remember thinking like, this is going to be over soon, right? Like, and then like, it's not going to be over soon. It's not going to be over for a very long time. The fact that any two people who have an infant have not like murdered each other or another human 
uh, it feels like a win minimally right there. I'm actually very surprised too. I... <laughs> <laughs> well, I am also very glad that no one has been murdered in the sleepless <laughs> pandemic that you two are living. And I'm curious, I mean, like thinking about that, about what these last 19 months have taught you about being a parent, has it changed the way you think about your own parents? So I think I have decent relationship with both of them now, which I'm thankful for. And I do wonder sometimes like, wow, they did this with me. And it's such a strange feeling. It's a very strange feeling because then you're like, wow, I'm old. Like I've been on this earth for a long time. And then you're like, man, human beings are miraculous. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's just kind of wild. And and so, yeah, I mean, my parents both made mistakes. But at the end of the day, they're human beings doing the best they can with what they had. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm much more compassionate to them. And like, I am aware that I am my mother and father's son, you know? So I, now I see them and I see the things they do and their behaviors that annoy me and I see them in myself and then I'm probably going to pass them on to my kid as much as I don't want to. It's just the way that it works. Just try not to. <laughs> wow. That is not nice. No, that's what life is about. Trying. There's good things too though, right? Like I, I think. Know. Yeah, yeah. I never thought I was going to have kids at all. So like a lot of this stuff still feels like even newer to me. Like I wasn't daydreaming about having babies necessarily. Our parents were figuring things out by themselves, too, because they probably didn't know what they were doing also. Not 100%, at least. You know, nobody's, nobody knows 100% as a parent what they're doing. I feel like my parents are now softer, for lack of a better word. When I talk to them, I just feel like their attitude and the way they talk just really gentle. Yeah, one of the things that's been really beautiful about this time period is um, Sam gets to see his grandma FaceTime every day. It's really nice. I mean, granted, like, it would be great if she was here because then we could sleep. But, you know, we can't really do that right now. So it's the next best thing. Now, because I FaceTime my mom every day, my dad actually used to get up pretty early and, you know, go to work and he now changes his schedule so he could stay a little bit late and see Sam mm -hmm. also. I think he's getting a little jealous that my mom's getting all the attention. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And that's our episode. Special thanks this week to David Fink and Ray Teresi from Outspoken for allowing us to air a section of my story. You can follow us on social media to see my ridiculously adorable son, Sam, and pictures of me cooking lots of Chinese food. The podcast is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TIMF Show and TIMFshow.com. I am at Story Producer on all the things. This show is a production of thestoryproducer.com and is produced by me, Trisha Bobita, and Jackie Ball. Adam Yaffe is our editor and also mixes the show. Our community manager is Annika Exum. Our music is by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And our art director is my handsome husband, Ziwoo Joe. If you're digging the show, please, please, please tell a friend, coworker, neighbor, person at the grocery store. Help spread the good word. We need your good vibes. 
It also really helps us if you leave all the stars and a review on Apple Podcasts. As a reminder, you will hear lots of bits and pieces about my family in upcoming episodes. But this show is normally me interviewing other people about their families, how they build them and how they're shaped by them. Hopefully by starting this way like we did today, you feel like you know me a little bit better and where I'm coming from. Next week, we're kicking things off in a major way with my favorite drag queen, the iconic star of RuPaul's Drag Race, and someone who has a fascinating family story, origin chosen and otherwise, Latrice Royale. Drag families, when you are young and you're getting kicked out or you're being outed or whatever and exiled from your family, there's a matriarch or a person who takes you under their wing. And usually that's what you call your mother. I am so excited for all of you to hear our conversation. It was truly one of the highlights of my life. Thanks again for listening to the first ever episode of This Is My Family. I'm Tyler Green. Is the podcast all done, Sam?